podcast. We are in episode nine this week and we're calling it 70 Weeks Prophecy. Quick recap, over the last few weeks we have examined biblical evidence for the rapture and the return being two stages of the one event that the Bible calls the second coming. And we've examined the necessity that there is biblically that there is an interval of time between the rapture and the return. We're going to argue today from the Bible that uh, the interval of time that is between the rapture and the return must include the 70 weeks prophecy as given to Daniel in Daniel 9. But before we get into uh, this 70 weeks prophecy, I'm going to look at two foundational matters that's important for us to grasp before we uh, step into this prophecy. And I'm going to be drawing from some of uh, Reynold Shower's research, if I've pronounced that right. But the first of these foundational matters is that Israel and the church are not the same. They're not the same entity, body of people. Uh, the Bible deals with them differently. Um, I'm going to give you seven lines of evidence, hopefully quickly, uh, to, um, to demonstrate this. The first is that Israel is a nation in a technical sense, but the church is not. So Israel, as a nation, they have a, a national language, a political state, a capital city, a political government, political rulers, national traditions and history. They have a national army, all things that the church does not. Number two, Israel rejected Christ. The church received Christ. Number three, Israel was the original persecutor of the church, indicating that they are not and cannot be the same. If a, uh, number four, if a Gentile remains a Gentile, he is excluded from membership in Israel. By contrast, a Gentile can be a full and equal member in the church as a Gentile. They don't need to convert to a Jew or anything like that. Number five, Israel had both believers and unbelievers in full Mosaic covenant relationship with God. The whole nation was in covenant relationship with God, which is really important. That's the blessings and the cursings were for all people within that nation. That is believers and unbelievers. By contrast, the church, that is the true body of Christ. I'm not meaning as you step into a church building, because of course, as we step into a church building, uh, there are believers and unbelievers, but the church, that is the body of Christ, consists only of saved or regenerated members, which is very different to the nation of Israel. Number six, the Bible never calls saved Jews of the Old Testament the church of God in contrast with the unsaved Jews of the Old Testament. God never delineates between the two in the Old Testament. But the Bible does call saved Jews and in fact Gentiles of the New Testament era, He calls them the church of God. In contrast, that is, with the unsaved Jews and Gentiles of the same era. God delineates in the church era, era between the saved and the unsaved. Whereas in Old Testament era, it's, it's the nation of Israel and God doesn't delineate within that nation between those who believe and those who don't believe. And number seven, in Romans 11, Paul teaches that in Old Testament times, Israel was in the place of God's blessing. 
But because Israel rejected Christ through unbelief, they lost that place. God removed it temporarily. Now that's the key. Many would say permanently, but that's not what the Bible teaches. God removed Israel temporarily from the place of his blessing, that is God's blessing, and put in place or instead of Israel, the church. During the time that Israel is removed from the place of God's blessing, God placed the church in God's blessing. These seven lines of evidence indicate that the nation of Israel and the church are separate and distinct entities. This is just a real little snapshot. Uh, as, if you really want to get into it, start looking at the covenants to, um, uh, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, uh, even to Moses. As you start looking at those covenants, you see that the church cannot physically be Israel biblically. They are two distinct and separate entities that God has distinct and separate plans for biblically. Okay, so that's the first thing, and that is that Israel and the church are not the same. The second thing that I want to just establish is that the church was established at the day of Pentecost. The church was established at the day of Pentecost. Acts 11:15. this is Peter talking, he says this, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, this is in Cornelius' house, as upon us at the beginning. Notice he says, at the beginning. What does he mean? He means at the beginning of the church. That is, at Pentecost. Peter was referring to Pentecost as being the beginning of the church. Ephesians 2, 13 through 16 says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you, were once, uh, you once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, that is from Gentile and Jew, thus making peace and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. It is the blood of Christ that created this one new man, that is the body of Christ, the church. When did the blood of Christ, when was that? Uh, given? When was that shed? It was at the cross, just before Pentecost. Ephesians 2, 19 to 20, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. You see, the foundations of the church are the apostles and the New Testament prophets with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. It's really important that we get that. Foundations come at the beginning, and that is Christ, the apostles, and New Testament prophets. These are just a few proofs that here indicate that the church did not begin historically until the Acts 2 day of Pentecost after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Now, these two 
foundational truths are really important as we dive into the 70 weeks prophecy in Daniel 9. And just by way of recap, that Israel and the church are not the same and that the church was established at the day of Pentecost and not before. These are two very important things we need to keep in mind as we move forward. Okay, so now, open Bible open, Daniel 9. Uh, by way of context, we'll start at verse 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 of Daniel 9. Hopefully you have arrived there already. Daniel 9, verses 1 through 3. In the first year of Darius, the son of uh, Hasarius, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth and ashes. Okay, so just initially what we see is this, that Daniel um, knew the writings of the prophets. Daniel was here at the time uh, in Babylonian captivity, but he knew by the writings of Jeremiah the prophet that this captivity would only last 70 years. That is one year for every Sabbath year that Israel ignored, that is, they, they didn't fulfill the Sabbath year as per the law, over the preceding 490 years. So there was a period of 490 years that Israel ignored every seventh Sabbath year, and there were 70 of them that they ignored in that period of time. And God said, that is enough. And he sent them into captivity for 70 years, one year for each of the years that they should have given God when they were in the land. And it was drawing near to the end of this 70 year period of captivity and Daniel uh, prayed to God. Verses 20 to 23 is the next little bit of context that we'll give you just before the prophecy. Daniel 9 verses 20 through 23. Now while I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God, for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, <clears throat> whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, that is, he'd seen him in previous visions, um, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Man, how awesome would it be to hear those words uh, from God or from one of God's angels, that you are greatly beloved. And in fact, as the church, we are greatly beloved. So that, that holds true for us now as well. But this was very specific to Daniel. For you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision, he said. See, Daniel was praying about this 490-year period of time where Israel ignored God's requirements for Sabbath years. And consequently, Israel was sent into this 70-year captivity. Daniel was praying with concern for Israel's future because it was drawing near to the end of that 70 years. He, he was praying with concern for Israel's future. Why? Because 
in spite of Israel's continued sin, Daniel was praying that God would forgive Israel and restore its people and restore its city. See, Israel hadn't necessarily got any better during the captivity. But Daniel was praying and confessing his sin and the sin of his nation that God would restore his people and its city at the end of this 70 years. And God answered Daniel's prayers. Gabriel was sent to answer Daniel and the answer came in the form of a prophecy. That is a prophecy about another 490 year period of time. This is what is known as the 70 weeks prophecy. Okay, so Daniel was asking if God would restore Israel, if God would bring them back into the land. And God says, yes, I will. But this is the timeline by which I'm going to do it. This is the period of time that I have set in order to fulfill those things that you're praying about, Daniel. And we find ourselves in Daniel 9, verses 24 through 27. Read with me closely here. Keep it open because we're going to keep referring back to it. <clears throat> 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. Excuse me. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Now, we don't have time to go into all of, all of the details of, um, uh, of this prophecy. We're going to look at some significant facts in light of what uh, we're studying here, which is the rapture of the church and when, when that takes place. One thing I do want to say before we get into that, uh, and I didn't make a note of this, it's a little off track, but uh, you notice in verse 24, it says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. To do what? And it says six things. To finish the transgressions, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity. Now, those first three things you could probably argue, at least partially, um, uh, have been fulfilled by Jesus on the cross. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity. At least partially that's been done on the cross. But the last three, you cannot argue at all in any way, shape or form that they have been fulfilled yet. And they are to bring in everlasting righteousness. Take a look around. There is not everlasting righteousness right now. That's the first thing. To bring in everlasting righteousness. Uh, to seal up vision and prophecy. Well, that's, that's not happened. There's still prophecy that's yet to be fulfilled. So that's not been sealed up yet. And to anoint the most holy, which I believe is talking about uh, the millennial temple in Israel. 
Regardless, those last three are certainly not being done yet. So this prophecy have not yet been fulfilled. So that's important for us to understand as we step into this and we'll examine more details of that soon. But uh, we cannot argue even simply from that first verse that this prophecy has been fulfilled because those last three things have certainly not. There is no everlasting righteousness now. Vision and prophecy has not yet been sealed up and the most holy has not been anointed. It's not been done, therefore it's not been completely fulfilled. There's still parts of this prophecy yet to be fulfilled. Okay, that was a bit of a digression, but I think helpful uh, foundations. The first significant fact I want us to look at about this prophecy is this. This prophecy, at the very beginning of, of verse 24, we see 70 weeks are determined. So this prophecy involves 70 weeks of time. Now, in the, uh, in the Hebrew, this literally means 77s of time. So this 77s is the same as 70 times 7. Okay, so when it says 7s, it means periods of 7 something. So it could be periods of 7 days or 7 weeks or 7 months or 7 years or 7 whatever. Um, 77s simply means periods of 7. So that means this prophecy involves 490, that's 70 times 7, 490 units of time is what this prophecy involves. Now, the question is firstly, how much time is in each of these 490 units? See, God had divided their calendar into seven-year periods. Obviously, the weeks were seven-day weeks as well. But I'm going to focus here on, on years, and I'll show you why in a second. So God had divided their calendar into seven-year periods, with every seventh year being a Sabbath year. Check out Leviticus 25, 3-9 for that. In addition to this, Israel's Babylonian captivity was to last 70 years. Not days, not weeks, not months, 70 years. As mentioned before, because of their violation of the 70 Sabbath years, they were in captivity for 70 years. And we discovered in uh, this context in Daniel 9, verse 1 to 2. So what we see here time after time, the context of this, uh, this prophecy and this vision and the, the heart and prayers of Daniel is in relation to years. The, the conclusion we must draw here as we read this prophecy, as we kick off with 70 weeks are determined, is that the 490 units of time is in fact speaking of years. So this prophecy is concerning 490 years through which God will finish the transgression, make an end of sins, reconciliation for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness, seal up vision and prophecy, anoint the most holy. Remember, God is answering Daniel's prayer around restoring uh, Israel, the people of Israel and Jerusalem. And God says, yes, I will do this. And it's going to be done in a 490-year period of time. The second significant fact I want to mention is that, uh, so again, in verse 24, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city, speaking directly to Daniel. See, God determined all 70 weeks, that is, all of the 490 years to be for Daniel's people, Israel, and to be for the holy city, Jerusalem. 
God did not determine these 70 weeks for the church. These 490 years are specifically for Israel and Jerusalem. This is significant because as we discussed earlier, the church is separate and distinct from Israel. So we, we need to see straight up that this 490 years is for Israel and Jerusalem. It's not for the church. This prophecy has nothing to do with the church, has everything to do with Israel and Jerusalem. Third significant fact is the timing of the first 69 weeks of this prophecy or the first 483 years. Verse 25 says this, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So there shall be 69 weeks. Um, another time we will, um, you can ask me about uh, why God divides it into seven weeks and 62. But what we can see is that 69 weeks are determined from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. 69 weeks, 483 years. From the beginning uh, of this 70 weeks prophecy. So 483 years from the beginning, the Messiah would be present in the world is what this is saying. Now, King Artaxerxes gave this very command to Nehemiah. There'd been a number of commands um, that had been given to restore the temple, but the only command that was given to restore the whole city as well was given to Nehemiah in Nehemiah 2, 1 through 6. According to records that were found by Sir Rawlinson in the palace of Shushan, that order was given to Nehemiah in March 14th, 445 BC. That's important. Now, so according to this prophecy, Messiah should come 483 years later. Now, the fact that the prophecy gave a very specific time indicates that a very significant event would happen with regard to the Messiah at this time, at the end of this first 69 weeks. My question is, what could that event be? Now, I believe that this event is none other than Jesus' triumphant return to Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday. Why do I believe this to be true though? First of all, this prophecy refers to Messiah as the Prince, Messiah the Prince. Now that statement connects this event to Messiah being presented as Israel's Prince or coming King. Zechariah 9.9 declared that Israel could identify its coming king. How? By the fact that he would ride into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey. Do you remember Zechariah 9.9? They in fact called him king on that very day as he did fulfill that prophecy and rode into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey. Luke 19.37-38 is the time that publicly... It was the only time publicly that Jesus allowed worship of him as king of Israel. It's the first point why I believe that this event that is prophesied in the 70 weeks prophecy, that is the end of the 483 years, is this event uh, that is Palm Sunday. Uh, Luke 19, 41 through 44 says this, Now as he drew near, this is Jesus, he saw the city, he's riding 
on the foal of a donkey, saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side. This is Jesus confirming the prophecy in Daniel 9 where it speaks about um, the city and the sanctuary being destroyed. Verse 44 of Luke 19. Uh, Is that correct? Yeah, Luke 19 verse 44. And level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Why? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. See, Jesus indicates here that that day had been marked out in advance. That Israel should have recognized that particular day that Zechariah 9.9 talked about, that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem as king. But how? How was Israel supposed to recognize that specific day? How did they miss that visitation? How did did God expect them to know that he would come on that day? Daniel 9 is how. God had revealed the exact day when Messiah would present himself as as prince to Israel. Verse 26 in, uh, in our prophecy of Daniel 9 indicates that two very significant things also must happen uh, after that first 483 years. The first one is that the Messiah would be cut off. The word translated cut off was used for the death penalty and often referred to a violent death. It is a fact of history that Jesus died a violent death on the cross less than a week after Palm Sunday. So that did in fact come after the Palm Sunday event where Jesus came in as king. The second thing that must happen from verse 26 after uh, this um, Messiah the Prince shall come is that Jerusalem and the temple would be destroyed. That's the very thing that Jesus prophesied in Luke 19. It's the very thing that is prophesied here in Daniel 9. And again, it is a fact of history that Israel and Jerusalem, sorry, I should say Jerusalem and the temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. That is some 30 plus years or 38 years specifically after the first Palm Sunday. It's the third reason why I believe it's this event. The the fourth reason is is getting very specific here and people argue dates. But let me say this, 483 years in the Babylonian calendar, which is where uh, they run off 360 days in a year, not our um, 365 days in a year. So biblical calendar is 360 day years. So four, 483 years, feel free to write this down, comes to 173,880 days. 173,880 days is how many 483 years is. Now, if you take the starting point from March 14th, 445 BC, and fast forward 173,880 days, you arrive at an endpoint of April 6th, 32 AD. And have a guess what many scholars would argue 
the date of Palm Sunday, the date of Jesus' arrival into Jerusalem on the donkey is April 6, 32 AD, the very day that Jesus rode in. This is why Israel should have known the day of their visitation. It was prophesied in Daniel 9. Taken together, these four things indicate that the first 69 weeks or the first 483 years of this prophecy ended on that first Palm Sunday. Okay, the fourth significant fact uh, is this. The church did not exist during any part of the first 483 years of this prophecy. There was no existence of the church in history during the first 483 years of this prophecy. If the first 69 weeks ended at Palm Sunday and the church did not begin historically until Pentecost, so then what we see is that God kept the church out of all the first 483 years, all the first 69 weeks. And this is consistent with the facts that Israel and the church are separate and distinct entities and that the 70 weeks program that God lays out here in Daniel 9 is God's program for Israel and not for the church. The fifth significant fact is that God temporarily interrupts his 70 weeks program for Israel, which is so interesting and I'm so glad that he has. At the end of the first 69 weeks or the first 483 years, he interrupts his program with a gap. Now this 70th week, and I find this fascinating, the 70th week of, of Daniel's prophecy or the last seven years does not immediately follow the 69th week in history. There's a gap. Now this gap, and we see it in verse 26, where it says after the 69 weeks, and it's before the 70th week, uh, this gap had to be long enough to at least include the death of the Messiah on the cross, which was several days later, and also the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, which occurred in 70 AD, which was some 38 years later. So the gap had to be at least 38 years from the end of this the the 69th week before the 70th week it had to be a minimum of 38 years that gap but my question is is it longer is the 70th week still in our future and the answer biblically is yes it is see daniel 9 27 teaches that uh, abomination will come with desolation during the 70th week of this prophecy check out verse 27 but Jesus teaches that this abomination of desolation that is spoken of by the prophet Daniel is in the midst of the tribulation period. Check out Matthew 24, 15 through 21 and also verses 29 to 31. So Jesus says that this abomination of desolation that Daniel spoke about in the 70th week of this prophecy, Jesus says, that's going to be in the midst of the tribulation, which will be just before my return, so says Jesus. So he says that this 70th week is going to be happen happening shortly before Jesus' return to earth. In other words, this 70th week is still yet to happen. It is still in the future. 
meaning the gap in God's 70 weeks program for Israel is still going, almost on 2,000 years now. The sixth significant fact is this. God started the church very shortly after he interrupted his 70 weeks program for Israel and Jerusalem. He interrupted it with a gap that began at the end of the first 69 weeks that included Jesus' death on the cross, that included the destruction of Israel and, uh, sorry, of Jerusalem and the temple, and will continue until the tribulation period just before Jesus' return. See, the church has never, up until this point, been a part of God's 70 weeks program for Israel. We've been in the gap. We've not been a part of his program for Israel. And I would argue we will never be part of his 70 weeks program for Israel. Four closing thoughts because we're fresh out of time. God does not intend the church to be present on earth for any part of the 70 weeks or 490 years that he has determined specifically for Israel and Jerusalem. He intends to keep his 70 weeks program for Israel and Jerusalem separate and distinct from his program for the church, just as Israel and the church are separate and distinct. So is his plans for them. See, God intends the church to be present on the earth, specifically during the interrupting gap of time between the end of the 69th week and the beginning of the 70th week. That is the final seven years of this prophecy. So God's plan is that the church will be present on earth during the gap in the middle, but not during any of the 70 weeks, not during any of the actual 490 years that are determined for Israel and for Jerusalem. See, God will remove the church from the earth before the 70th week begins. Due to the 70th week being in God's program for Israel and Jerusalem and not for the church. Daniel's 70th week, this is the fourth closing thought, is in fact or can only possibly be the same period of time that the Bible speaks of in relation to the seven-year tribulation period that immediately precedes Jesus' return to earth. It has to be this period of time. I'm going to repeat to you a quote that John MacArthur said in relation to this 70 weeks prophecy. And it's fascinating. Scripture suggests that the second coming occurs in two stages. We've looked at this together. First, the rapture when he comes for his saints, comes down, receives his saints into the clouds and takes them into the Father's house. For his saints and they are caught up to meet him in the air. And second, his return to earth when he comes with his saints to execute judgment on his enemies. Daniel's 70th week must fall between these two events. That is the only scenario that reconciles the imminency of Christ coming for his saints with the yet unfulfilled signs that signal his final glorious return with his saints. Daniel's 70th week must 
fall between these two events. If it doesn't, then all of a sudden God is mixing his 70 weeks program for Israel with his program for the church. And we see biblically that that is not what he has said will happen. And it's certainly not what he has shown us is happening. He paused God's 70 weeks program for Israel and he focused his his time and his uh, everything now on his program for the church but he still has one remaining 70 seven year period that he is yet to fulfill when he turns his attention back to israel when the blindness is removed from israel shortly after the church is removed from the earth thanks so much for joining the prophecy times podcast for another week one of the things i mentioned in this last uh, quote from john macarthur is the imminency of Christ coming for his saints. That is exactly what we're going to look at next next week, the doctrine of imminency of Christ coming for his church. Looking forward to seeing you next week, Wednesday, 5 p.m. Much love.